publishing a book is a victory, but it's not the end. After you sweep up the confetti and wash the champagne flutes, what's next? Authoring Onward is the podcast about those steps after your first publication. Going from published author to having a long-term writing career. And that has no clear endpoint and plenty of ups and downs. But telling stories for the long-term is so, so worth it. Sit back, listen, and together, let's author Onward. Hello and welcome to another episode of Authoring Onward. I'm your host, author, editor, and book coach, Connie B. Dowell. And today, uh, I am going to be talking to Carrie Knowles about getting to know your characters, developing your characters, um, which is always a really fun part of the process for me. And it actually happens in stages. I'm, I am not one of those authors who knows everything about their characters before I get started. And even though I am actually a more of a plotter than a pantser, they throw in a few surprises. So I think we had a really great discussion. And I hope you enjoy. I'm not going to spend too long on this intro. Let's just hop right into the interview with Carrie. All right. So today on Authoring Onward, I am talking to Carrie Knowles. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Thank you for having me. Nice to be here on a wintry day. Yeah, wintry, wintry, wet, cold kind of a day, um, at least here for me. So, um, Carrie, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do? You have a very impressive biography on your site. So I'll make this quick, but um, I actually started writing professionally while I was in college. In fact, that's how I paid for much of my college was I wrote for um, a sports magazine in Michigan. I went to school at Wayne State University in Detroit, and there was a sports magazine called Competitive Breed, which covered, you know, it was Detroit area. Um, So it covered drag cars, speedboats, motorcycle races, and they were looking for an a writer is looking for a job. I applied and got a job uh, covering races and uh, worked with a mechanic um, and actually the Canadian motocross champion. And he would help me say the right things about motors and this and that and whatever. And I would leave school on Friday afternoon and um, cover races all over the state of Michigan and um, do profiles. And I'd come home on Sunday. Monday night, write up everything and then turn it in Monday morning and go to school. And that's how I paid for my last two years of college was writing for a sports magazine. So it's fun. And then I left college and I thought, well, I like this, so I'll keep writing. And so I've done a lot of um, nonfiction writing, which paid the bills for many years for me, and then um, write fiction as well. Um, Short fiction, I think, might be my favorite form. Uh, although I have several novels in print as well. And um, I also write a column for Psychology Today called Shifting Forward. I have a new collection. I have a collection of the first 50 columns I wrote for Psychology Today coming out in uh, May with um, Owl Canyon Press. And um, it's called Shifting Forward. And it's, uh, I was approached by Psychology Today, a psychologist, but to write a column from a personal perspective. They wanted a little bit different approach um, for their readership. 
and it's on their online presence. And so I write a monthly column for them. And so that's it. I was the 2014 Piedmont Laureate in short fiction. And um, I have over time both um, taught and, and worked with other writers about writing and helping people actually through writer's block and young writers through character development, which I think we're gonna talk a lot about today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so, yeah, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show to talk about um, characters and character developments, um, which is, I don't know, it's always a really fun part of the process for me um, to, to start developing characters. Um, but for those who maybe, you know, are earlier in their authoring career and you've got, you, you know, you've gotten through that, that first book, which always feels like it's your magnum opus, but it's not, um, <laughs> you feel like it's the biggest thing ever. And now you're going, okay, I cobbled this together and I learned along the way and I want to develop where, where do I start developing my characters for the next book? So I talk for just a minute there's two types of fiction writers um one uh, people who are um you know uh character driven authors which i am or plot driven authors which i am not and plot driven authors set out a plot line and they they know that this is going to happen that's going to happen and there's this is where they're going to go and that's where they're going to go next this is where the book is going to end and they set out a plot line and that's where they go and um, that's not how I do it. Um, so for character-driven writers, they um, come up with character. They have a, a character and they create a character. And um, one important thing is that characters are, unlike ourselves, characters are imperfect. They have a flaw. If a character doesn't have a flaw, you don't have a story because there's nothing for that character to develop to get better. And that's the point of the character and story is that moment when the character learns something about themselves and they change. Um, some people talk about it in terms of a character moving towards redemption because we are all in a lot of ways in our lives being, I would like to think, moving towards redemption, moving towards a point where we're better than we were yesterday, that we, you know, we're more forgetting, we're more ourselves, we're more whatever. Um, so I develop a character and then the trick with character driven fiction, actually the trick with working with a character is to create a character and to have enough faith in them to just let them free, to let them do what they're going to do. Um, and, you know, I tell people, I never know what a character is going to do once I develop them and put them into a story. In fact, every time I open, you know, the magic uh, computer screen, the first thing I say to myself is, I wonder what my character is going to do today. I wonder what they're going to say. I wonder what they're going to do next. And with any luck, they get into some trouble and I have to get them out of the trouble. And that's where the story comes from, is somebody getting into trouble and somebody getting out of trouble and growing in that process. And um, so the trick to it is knowing as much as you can about the character. And the greatest difficulty for beginning writers, writers early in their career, 
is that it's very difficult for them to think of a story as being centered on one character. And I cannot tell you the number of times I've worked with um, writers early in their career and they say, I say, well, who's the main character? And they say, well, there's four main characters. And I go, no, there's not four main characters. There's one main character. And they say, no, 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 no. In this story, there's four. And I go, well, you know, no, that's gonna confuse me as a reader. You know, you've got to give me one and then you've got to understand what um, a main character is and then what the other characters really are. And also, I think the hardest thing for whether you're um, early in your career or even later in your career is knowing when a character just isn't adding to the story um, and you need to get rid of them and you need to kind of say, you're not you're not bringing anything to the table here. So therefore you need to go into another, you need to do something else with you. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely resonate with that a pain of having to cut a character. Um, in my first novel, I had to get rid of the grandma and she, I loved her, but she just was not doing anything. So she had to go. Um, <laughs> you're not any to the story. You know, I, I often tell people I have, um, uh, I have one of the books I have is called Ashwin's Rug, and it's uh, 10 link stories about 10 different people who own the same prayer rug and how it changed their lives. And so the issue became, you know, um, how did I move the, the prayer rug? It goes over 100 years. How do I move the prayer rug from the owner to the next owner? And how does that keep going and growing and doing what it needs to do? And at one point, I think four or five steps into the book, um, a priest gets inherits this rug from a congregant and um, he's lost his faith. And he, he love, he, this rug becomes his link to getting his faith back. Now, in, in this collection of, of related stories, the main character is, really because the rug is the one that changes everyone. And that's what's important to know the character is they're the one who impacts everybody else in the story. So anyway, this priest gets this rug. Now he's a secondary character. He's not, he's looks like to them, if that you picked up the book, you would think, oh, well, he's the main character, but he's not, he's the rug is. And he, I realized I kept on writing this part over and over and over again. And the priest wouldn't let go of the rug. And I couldn't figure out what, what am I gonna do with this priest who is not, he's not moving my song. He's, he's not helping me out here. You know, I need to get the story in somebody else's hands to move this whole book along. And so after six months, one morning I woke up and I said, well, you know, what? you're dead, you're out of here. So I killed off the priest and let the rug move on. It was in the way of that rug continuing their story. So it is hard to let go. And I'm sorry you had to let go of a grandmother because grandmothers are quite important. But if they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, get rid of them. You know? True. And you can always save that character um, for another story, which is what I did. Grandma reappeared later. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so that's a lot about like the, the functions of, of a main character in a story um, and the importance of getting to know that character. But what are kind of some practical ways if somebody is sitting down and going, all right, I've got this plot. I need to fill it with characters. What do I do? 
So you find out if you're working from a plot, you find out who would be in this story, you know, and then you, I think it's really important to understand as much as you can about the character. Um, I always give all of my characters, main characters and secondary characters, whatever, they all get birthdays and people say, why would you do that? And I say, it's very simple. If you're working with a novel that's over time, it's really important to know how old somebody is in each space. And so it's, it's much easier to keep track of the life stage of your characters if you know when they were born. And so if the, if the story moves along through time, you need to know how old those characters will be as the story's moving along. And um, the other thing is it's important to really know everything about that character. And I tell people, you need to hear them speak in your mind. You need to hear them talk so that you know what that, char what that character would sound like when he was out with his friends or she was talking to her mother or you know what kind of words. Um, I think uh, Annie Dillard once said, you know, that the, you know, it's so important that the character rings true, that what the character says sounds like what the character would say and that, you know, to keep them in that character. So um, I might try out dialogue with the character until I found dialogue that fit not only the story, um, but that character's um, education level. Um, I might wanna know, you know, if that character had gone to school, what region that character came from, what country that character came from, um, what order they were, what birth order they were, were they an only child? Were they, were they that? Did they, uh, what did they like? Um, because the more you know, the more things you have to play off of in your story as the story develops, the more things you can grab and, you know, enrich your story with. Um, you know, if, you're, if your main character rides a motorcycle, learn a little bit about what it means to ride a motorcycle because those details will come out in your story and help that story ring through. So the more you know about what character can do and has done, the better off you, the better off you are equipped to make those things happen in your story and to use them, you know. Your character that you develop is going to bring a lot of great details to your story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you mentioned like giving them some dialogue and hearing that voice um, because a lot of newer writers will, will latch on to like character interview sheets or character like info sheets. And I'm sure I can't be the only one who has, who has picked those up and felt like they rang a little bit hollow. Although if they work for you by all means, but having the character like speak or even in a throw, I like throwaway scenes just to have them doing something really exactly. helps. There's a really nice exercise that's easy to do. And I encourage, try to encourage people to do it, um, which is, you know, uh, sometimes people think, oh, dialogue, oh, I'm writing, oh, it has to be grammatically correct. Oh, it has to be a sentence. Mm -hmm. And then they wind up writing this very stilted dialogue. And I encourage people to understand that, um, uh, the way we speak and the way we write very different. And also 
um, our speaking changes depending upon who we're talking with. And the closer a relationship, the shorter dialogue is. The more I know about you, and when you say, well, tell me a little bit about yourself, I'm going to give you a, I went to school here, I did this, I did that. But the longer you know me, the more you know me, the, the questions are going to be um, more pointed. And it's not going to, you know, it's not that I don't have an opportunity to wander and tell you a lot of things. It's that we know each other, so I can give you a short answer. So the shorter an answer, you know, indicates the relationship between two characters. So it's not only what one character says, but what one character says to another character. And that helps dialogue, teaches the reader so much about the relationships of characters in a story. So here's the exercise. It's really fun, it's easy. It's harder to do now with COVID, but it's still possible if you can go outside and sit in a cafe and not be too far from somebody. And that is to sit down and to you know order your cup of coffee or whatever, have a notebook with you, and to um, eavesdrop on to other people talking. And when you hear the first person talk, you start with a line and you just start drawing the line. When they stop talking, you bring up your pencil. And then when the person answers, you drawing a line for that length of, of time all of a sudden you begin to see a pattern and you begin to understand, oh, these people are close friends or this is a husband and wife who've been married a long time or this is a first date. You know, the conversation is different. The dialogue is different. And so when you start listening to dialogue in that way, when you start listening to people speak to each other in that way, all of a sudden you begin to be much more aware of how dialogue it's relationships with people. So yeah, it's, it's a good way to do it. And it's a good exercise. You know, you can say, ah, and then, you know, at the end of a conversation for you to make an evaluation, um, I think these people are on a first date and because, you know, they're, they're complete. I think these people are married, have been together for a long time because their answers are short. I think these people are fighting. I think that um, there's a, a power struggle here because person has to speak long and the other person has a short answer no yes um and it's a power shift. you know who is in control when you begin to listen to that you know then your dialogue that you're writing becomes richer because you're paying attention to that i have a main character who is not control of the situation. So his answers are going to be like, oh, let me tell you more. Let me tell you more. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. But let me explain myself. You know, he's going to babble or she's going to babble on and on. And then the person in power is going to be able to say, no, yes, go away. You know, so very important to understand not only what, how a character would speak, but how that character relates to other characters and how their dialogue will change depending upon who they're talking with. Yeah, that's a great exercise. Like there's, there's so many good writing exercises that start with like <laughs> eavesdropping. Writers are super snoopy. <laughs> right. But it's really fun. And then you, you, it's like you train your mind to listen and to write about that really positive way. You know, it's a fun exercise. Yeah. Fun exercise. Let me go on. 
now we can all do just a cup of coffee maybe on a especially like if you're having like a tough writing day and you need to progress but not necessarily add more words that's a it's a good tool to have in your toolbox right or you can even watch a movie Mm -hmm. and pay attention to how how the dialogue shifts depending upon who the person is talking to and become aware of that you know what how that dialogue no matter it, it's it's not the word so much as is the uh, you know the relationship of the two people through the discussion and all of a sudden it's like showing dialogue allows you to show rather than to tell you don't have to say um, these people are having an argument. You know, you can show me they're having an argument through dialogue. These people are sleeping together. You don't have to tell me that. You can show me that through how they respond to each other, through you know how they answer each other. Dialogue is a powerful, wonderful resource for writers, and um, it's something that you really have to work at. And um, the more you perfect writing dialogue, listening to other people speak, watching movies and, you know, doing that little writing exercise, who's speaking, who's in power there, who's not in power, um, really does help your own writing. And also picking up on phrases that, you know, movies are really good for um, letting characters develop and have certain pet phrases that they use to, um, you know, answer questions. Uh, one of our granddaughters, you know, if you say something to her, she's very young, she's like only 20 months, but if you say something she really likes or she wants to do, instead of saying yes, she'll go, yeppy, you know, <laughs> you said, you want to go outside? Yeppy. And so, so when you hear that yeppy, you know that that's more than just a word to her. That is an affirmation that, yep, that's what I want to do. That That's it. And so you use that one word in a dialogue, uh, whatever it is, and the reader is on the end of that joke and they can say, yeah, I know what's going on. You know, yuppie means this. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to show individual characters and keep them really distinct, especially if you have a large cast. Yes. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, having a large cast is tough. You can't have a large cast in a short story because there's just not room for them. Um, It's kind of like there's the stage isn't that big. The time of on stage isn't that big. You can have a large cast with a big novel. And so you have to sort of kind of say, how many people, how many people do I need on this stage, you know, to make the story go forward? And I guess the answer is, you know, how many, you know, like you got rid of the grandmother, how many characters am I working with that are making this story move forward? And as much as you hate to get rid of a character, if you get rid of a character who's not driving the story forward, all of a sudden you you get rid of them and you think, oh, I got a little air in here. I got a little clarity as to what the story is about. Yeah, yeah. And it just makes revising and writing those scenes so much fast, easier without that extra person that you're like moving about on the stage, um, right. having to wonder what she's doing all this time because now she could just be somewhere else. <laughs> and the other really important thing to understand about creating characters is your character has to want something. 
They, you know, your main character has to want something. And the whole point of the story, whether it's a short story or a novel, is will that character get what they want or will they not get what they want? Getting or not getting, how will it change them? And that's the story, that's the storyline. And so a lot of times people don't understand that, that, you know, the character, if the character, if your main character doesn't want something or need something, you don't really have a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't really. Even even characters that are very, um, what we would call more static. Um, like I mentioned this because I write mystery and the, the sleuth can't change drastically from book to book, but they still want to solve the crime. Like the superhero wants to save the day. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And so they want to solve the puzzle. They want to, and that's what they want to do. And they have, um, that's the, that's a very good example. That's wonderful. Uh, That's a very good example. So what if you have, what if your main character is um, a sleuth, is a detective, is a crime solver? um, And that's what they want to do is solve the crime. You have to give that character a set of a toolbox of skills that will allow him to be or her to be able to solve that crime. So do they need to speak language? Do they need to know how, you know, cars work? They need to know this. Do they need to know that? So, you know, you have to, you have to assemble a toolbox of tools, you know, a group of skills that your character is going to need in order to get what they want or not get what they want. You know, they, they, uh, they're not newborn calves. They have to be able to, to know things, to do things. They have to have skills. And so what skills are you going to give your main character? Sometimes if you, you know, you're going along and all of a sudden, you know, the, the main character really needs to know something that you haven't prepared for them to know, you have to go back in your story and make sure that you clue under that, oh, they know how to speak Greek or whatever it is, or they know how to make an omelet. And so, you know, um, so you have to, you have to give that earlier so that, that when, when it comes to the point that that detective or whoever needs to know that skill, you know, that they've got that skill, you know, they've got, they've got that. Yeah. Yeah. And thinking about like all the skills needed to accomplish whatever it might be um you know the the main character doesn't necessarily have to have all those skills but those skills need to like that's a great way to develop side characters we need somebody who can do x right that's like you know sherlock holmes and his sidekick you know um the sidekick brought a different set of skills to sherlock holmes you know watson brought different skills to holmes that helped them together solve the crime, you know, even though Sherlock always took the lead, but Watson would come and say, wait a minute, you know, I know blood coagulation, blah, 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 would, would make this, that. And um, so, right. I mean, the main character can't have all the skills, but they have to have friends who have those skills. Yep. Yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, we've talked a bit about um, developing main characters and even a little bit about side characters here. Um, but 
you've written a book with a very unconventional non-human main character and that seems like a really really neat experience um if you'd like to speak to writing a character that's not a person (laughs) um yeah that was really um that's a little book it's not it's not one of my big books so it's a smaller book Ashwin's Rug um and I became very interested in um I think it has to be an inanimate object that has some power to it um not in a sci-fi sense but in uh whatever kind of you know we give objects power you know we and that was the issue with this rug um I actually bought this rug. The The last story in that book is a short story. Um, it was written as a short story about me going to an auction and actually buying this, this rug. And then I did all this research about this rug because I became very fascinated from this auction. I became very fascinated by um, why we give objects power and also what was the work of art as opposed to what artwork. Um, and I, I wound up trying to wrap my head around this whole idea. And I wound up writing like a 50 to 100 page essay just for myself about what is the work of art and what, you know, how do you, why is the Mona Lisa a great work of art where something else, you know, a picture that my granddaughter made, not a great work of art that has nothing to do with skill. You know, how do we, why do we imbue something with that kind of power of being great? You know, what is great about it? And so then once I understood for myself about what this art was, um, and what power it could have as a prayer rug, because that's what it was, that's what it is. Um, I began to try to think about, well, what is this rug, go- what is this rug gonna mean in the next life? In the same way that a character, you know, how does this character impact another person? So the object had to change lives just like a main character changes lives. And, um, you know, the rug instead of growing more powerful became more tattered, but in the end was a very powerful rug and changed lives in surprising ways. And um, it took me several years to write this book. Um, and you would think, why this is kind of a little book, why did it take you so long? Um, but it had to do with using that. I think it's very difficult. I mean, I, it was hard work because I had to be true to that rug and the rug didn't speak. You know, so I couldn't use dialogue to develop it. I had to use how it how it changed the lives of the people who owned it. Um, I think you also see that um, in um, there's a, a couple other books. Uh, one of them has to uh, I, some. Mm, I'm sorry, I, I just lost. It was all in my head it's about books that use objects as being characters mm-hmm. and um, you know, in a similar way, it's like, is that, how does that happen? It's slower writing. I have to say that it's easier to move humans around and to have them make mm-hmm. mistakes and to do things. Um, in that book, I have another character who has a, a different belief in that rug. And um, 
winds up burning down a library, um, which I had not expected her to do. And fortunately, you know, I had to not have her have the rug with her, which she was going to burn the library yeah. down. But the, the rug sort of, you know, she was a little nuts and the rug sort of spoke to her and told her what, and she wound up burning down a library. Um, a little college library was a small library, but uh, surprisingly, the library never called me and said, why did you do that? You know, because I actually used a real name. But um, yeah, it is, it is harder work, but it's kind of fun, you know, because objects are important to people. It's like, you know, when you inherit um, something from a grandmother, you know, that, that is a brooch or something that that's not just a, a piece of jewelry. That's, it's like you, you've inherited a little piece of somebody's life. And that's kind of what, what you know, you're working from in, in creating a main character that's an inanimate object. Yeah, that's really interesting. I can imagine it being slower going because it's more, more challenging than writing you know, a human, which you, we could, we've all been humans. Right, so, right. Yeah, right. I've never been a rug. <laughs> never been a rug. <laughs> but, yeah. But that's a really interesting concept and experience. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so and it's a little bit like people often like to say, uh, to tell writers to try sometimes to try and make a setting a character, um, yeah. which you can kind of philosophically debate. It's like, is it really a character? Or is this just sort of a metaphor for a really vivid setting? Um, yeah, I, it is a metaphor. I mean, you know, it was um, Snoopy was always it was a dark and stormy day. You know, it was yeah. a dark and stormy night. Um, uh, we that, you know, weather does give a setting place. You know, there's a lot many involved in settings and the settings are very important. And you have to make sure that your character fits that setting. Um, you know, you have to make sure that they would be there and you know are they going to be comfortable there or are they going to be not comfortable there i mean it's possible to put a character in a setting you know a connecticut a connecticut yankee in king arthur's court you know it's like somebody time travels and they find themselves in a place that they're like whoa i don't want to be here i i i'm not to be here and so you know that's using setting to challenge the main character um and, but setting becomes very important because it, it gives you um, a place. So it gives you a certain kind of language and it's really important. If you don't know that place, it's really kind of important to sort of read up, find out what kind of things would be said. Um, it gives you a topography. It gives you sort of physical challenges, geographical challenges. Is there an ocean? Could there be a flood? Is it a desert? Could there be a drought? It's like, what are the possibilities within the setting that your character is going to be exposed? Uh, time frame, you know, what's an appropriate dress? Um, I used to collect, uh, I you know, old magazines so that I would know what people would wear at different times, and there are wonderful resources now on the internet. Um, I don't need to like haul around a thousand little magazines anymore, or you know, collect. Um, uh, patterns for dresses to know how things are made in, in certain times. I think Downton Abbey 
sort of the beauty of Downton Abbey is a really good example of taking setting to the nth degree where the, um, you know, James Fellows said, you know, what, what would they wear? How, how do you wear a tiara? You know, um, what kind of bell would the servants be called by? Um, how would the table be, be set? You know, uh, what dress would you wear for lunch that you wouldn't wear for dinner? And so, you know, the setting, the setting of Downton Abbey is just so rich that you can't help but learn. You know, just the setting kind of directs the story in many, many ways. Um, it, it's quite wonderful. Uh, if you have a chance, you should watch the new um, Denzel Washington, uh, you know, Macbeth. Uh, it's, it's stunning. And um, the setting that um, one of the Cone brothers hid for this movie is so um, mysterious and otherworldly. It's not shot in black and white as much as it's shot in shades of gray. And so, you, you know, you're just always in this fog wondering, well, what is going on here? And it's very powerful. So the setting become, becomes a way to, to manipulate your character, to challenge your character, to um, maneuver through that setting. Um, I love settings. and, and um, I like to, I do a lot of research about settings as much as I do about characters in terms of both time, you know, historic time and place. And if I mention a street, there really is that street, makeup streets. I give you a real street because it helps me as a writer anchor myself into that setting to be able to say, mm, no, this would be going on here. I've stood at this corner and I know what this is. Yeah. So yeah, there's a good point about how setting can really challenge a main character um, and that it's, it can be equally compelling to have a character out of their normal setting and um, even someone you wouldn't expect to encounter in one place can inform like the back, the backstory of that character. Why have they moved from the place of their birth? It's a that changes you as a person. Sure. Absolutely. And Thank you for bringing up the word backstory because that's another issue with um, early writers is they want to give you the backstory and you like no you know don't give me the backstory let not me yet. discover the backstory not yet exactly not yet let me through the actions of the character discover where his flaws came from why he's on this quest what is he or she doing. Um, don't give me the backstory. I had a wonderful professor many years ago who said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit down and just write, 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 go away, have coffee, do whatever you want to do, come back the next day, write, 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 write. And he said, and then after a week, he said, I want you to go back and blindly rip off the first 10 pages and throw them away. Start your book where the action starts. Start your story where the action mm -hmm. starts. Don't give me the backstory. Let me discover the backstory. So it's very natural for us to sit down and want to explain. Okay, so now this character rode a motorcycle from, you know, uh, from here, from San Francisco to Tybee Island, and it took him six weeks. And on that, and you know, and and that really changed him. And he did that when he was nineteen years old, and he knows a lot about motor. You know, don't tell me that. Show me that over time. Give me a little hint 
make me curious, make me want to know more about the character. Don't tell me everything about the character. Make me want to keep reading so that I discover, oh, I learned something else. You know, it's like my husband is always will watch a movie or something and he'll, he's always saying, what's, why did he do that? And I said, well, I don't know, because I've never seen this before, but let's just be quiet and let's just watch this and figure it out together. You know, he always want, thinks that I might know what's, and no, I, I want to discover the backstory. I want to be so challenged by that character and so hooked by that character that I'm going to keep reading past page 50 to page 100, page 150, because I want to figure out why does he know that? Why does he want this? Don't tell me right off why he wants this. Let me discover why he wants this, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and just to add that, like, this, this is a lot of really fascinating detail, but you don't actually have to know all this about your character when you first start writing. You can discover it along the way. Right, exactly. And you discover it actually as your character needs something. That's what you mm -hmm. discover, you know, and you think, mm, okay, no, you know, all right, I need to go back. For me, which is really, you know, people are like, oh, I don't want to hear this. You know, I, I think for the truth is you really don't know what the story is about until you get to the end of the story. And that's when the writing starts. That first blurp through where you lay everything down for the first 300 or whatever pages, that gets you to the end. And once you got to the end, then you need to go back to the beginning and figure out, well, what, what does the character need to get to that end? Now that I know what the ending is, let me go back and give the character what they're gonna need to do this more gracefully or to do this, whatever. And so once you know what the ending is, you, you then know where the beginning is, if that makes sense. You know, you, and that's when you begin editing and you throw out everything that does not lead to that end. And then you find the missing pieces that you didn't give the reader that will get you to that end. And so, you know, it's like, it's like, cleaning out your closet, figuring what fits, what doesn't fit, what do I need? Oh, I need a white blouse to go with that shirt. You know, I need this, I need that. You know, I need those pieces. Get rid of what you don't need, what you don't wear, what fit comfortably and find out what's missing, what you have to get there. I really love the editing process. Weird, I know. Yeah, well, I'm an editor, so I love the editing process too. Um, so to actually, to go back to the beginning a little bit, um, let's, uh, before I let you go, let's talk briefly about kind of those first inspirations, because some, some writers are more initially inspired by, you know, a concept or a setting, and then some are more initially inspired by character, but I always find it interesting to think what, what strikes those first sparks of inspiration for you about characters? Oh, just different things. Um, but that's a, that's kind of a, thank you for asking that, but that's kind of a hard question because I think for me, if I looked at all nine of my books, it would be, you know, whether they're fiction or nonfiction, they were all started for different reasons. Um, and the characters grew out of different reasons for me. Uh, and, um, Hmm. 
I think that to be a writer, you have to be curious. You have to know why. And that has to be, uh, you know, if you're a nonfiction writer, you want to know what, 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 what happened when, what happened when, what happened when, what happened when. And if you're a fiction writer, you're instead of saying what, you're saying why, why did that happen? Why, you know, instead of what so much, it's why. Why did they do that? Um, sometimes characters come to me through just a brief encounter with somebody where I where they say something, or uh, I see somebody walking down this, and the way they're walking, it sort of strikes me as, well, where is he going, or where is she going, or what what what's going on there? What what is the situation? Um, and then I begin to needle with that situation and say, why, why happening? Um, more importantly, what would I do if I were the main character? You know, I think that one of the beauties of writing, of reading is it gives you an opportunity, a really good book gives you an opportunity to say, what would I do? What would I have done differently? You know, um, and, oh, I don't think I, I wouldn't have done that. You know, I wouldn't have done that. I would have I would have done something else. And then you go a little further in the story and you go, oh, that's why they did that that way. But, you know, engaging your writer through the characters, you're always challenging your writer, your reader to um, look through the eyes of that character and see for themselves where they would be in the same story. You know, what would they do? Um, uh, I took our young, our oldest son when he was three to see Hansel and Gretel. And um, he's a wonderful, he's a marvelous adult, but he was a wonderful child. And he just, we used to say he was a first run child because he was always saying, you know, Severa, is, is that true? Is that true? Is that true? And we're sitting, you know, close up. It was in a children's theater place and, and we're watching Hansel and Gretel. And he was so engrossed in that story and in the production of, you know, it was teenagers were doing it, so engrossed in this production of Hansel and Gretel that all of a sudden in the scene when Hansel and Gretel are running away from the, from the witch, you know, they're running through the forest and the witch is hiding behind the rock. And all of a sudden, Neil, our oldest son, who's three at the time, jumps up on his chair in the middle of this auditorium and starts screaming at the top of his lungs, the witch behind the rock, the witch is behind the rock. Look, you shouldn't be there. You know, he was, and that's, you want your reader, you reader at a certain point to stand on their chair and say, don't, don't go there. It's too dangerous. You know, the witch is behind the rock. And boy, if you can do that, yeah you're wonderful and you've given your reader a wonderful moment you know yeah and you've gotten them really invested in that story got them really invested don't in keep reading. The never forget that story yeah the witches behind the rock yeah. thinking about what they would do what they sh should do what they have the knowledge to do and sometimes what they they wouldn't dare to do is one of the one of the yeah. most fun things about creating characters who do the things you think about but would never do like rob a bank, you know, yeah. and did you ever, have you re ever read the, the great train robbery? It's marvelous. I'm trying to think of who wrote it. I know who wrote it. Anyway, it, it's such a great, it's such a great read. And I finished that book and I thought, Ooh, I could, I could 
a train robber. What, what if I was a train robber? I mean, wouldn't that just be fun? You know, they made it seem like it was just the best fun in the whole world to be a train robber. And I thought, I could do that. I could be a train robber. But of course you can't, you know? Yeah. So also, I don't think, yeah, I don't think you could rob trains the same way anymore for all of no. you potential no. train robbers out there. Perhaps don't. But no, you can read about it. But, you know, but that's really wonderful. And, you know, the truth is we read because we're voyeurs. We read because we want to see, you know, what's going on. Um, and, you know, you're a mystery writer. I mean, I, I love to read mysteries. You know, it's like, I want to see if I can solve it before they solve it. You know, I know it's, wait a minute, wait a minute. They need to see this. You know, I bet you it's this. I bet you it's that. Um, that it's, it's great fun. Reading is great fun. It's a escape to another world. It's like a window to another world. You know, you, you open a door, you open a window and you let your reader come through it, um, through the characters, through the setting. Um, it's fun. It's fun. And when you can give somebody a rich experience. So, so what if you, so what if you don't make much money doing it? You know, at least you're, you're making the world a little bit richer, you know, a little more fun. Yeah, a little more fun. So um, before we wrap things up, Carrie, uh, I often like to ask, is there, is there a question I should have asked or alternatively, any parting words of advice? Well, people often ask, you write both fiction and nonfiction. So what is that like? And I say, well, fiction and nonfiction are the same in many ways. They have a setting, they have a main character, they have this, they have that. Um, and um, it's, it's fun. I think the most fun I'm having these days is writing my column for Psychology Today. Um, this week was tough. I, I owe a, a story. And I think every, like everybody, I'm worn down by COVID and it's like, what in the world do I write this week? You know, what do, what do I say? Um, the world feels just a little crazy. And, and, you know, sometimes my job as a writer for Psychology Today is not put a bow on it, but to just, give an insight to it so that you can kind of say with a fresh look, kind of look at something and feel so fresh this week. It was like, whoa, you know, the world is so complicated. Um, I think that what I would like to say is that it's very important to, um, to not, you know, people, teachers used to always say, write what you know. And I think it's better to write what you understand. And so, you know, what you understand about the world to write about that. And the other thing is, is to not, you know, uh, it, it's a very hard, publishing is a very hard, harsh world. Um, and to not get discouraged, you know, it's like we forget that editors are people and that you know, I had a short story once that got, I knew, you know, it was like the kind of thing where I knew it was a good short story. And when I wrote it, I thought this, it, every word worked, every word moved the story forward. And that was a really good short story. And I sent it out to a pretty good, and it got rejected with kind of a, you know, iffy, not so nice note. Um, and then I sent it to a lesser journal and it got rejected. And I sent it to a lesser journal and it got rejected. And the fourth time I sent it out, I sent it to a journal that was just 
you know, it was like, it should have been a slam dunk. And I got rejected there. And it really made me mad. I thought, you don't deserve this good short story. This short, you do not deserve this good short story. So at the time, a wonderful journal called Summer Train was publishing, and it was one of the best literary journals in the country. And I sent it to them. And I sent it to a competition. And it won first place. And I thought, okay. And actually, they called me to tell me. And I thought it was a joke. And I hung up on them. I said, no, this has been rejected five times. Don't, don't get on my nerves, you know. Um, and they called me back and they said, no. Um, and so, you know, sometimes you have to find the right fit. And you shouldn't make the mistake. I So often, new authors will make the mistake. And they will not do their research. They send a book to a publisher. Let, let's say that you, well, you write mysteries. Well, you send your book to a publisher that doesn't publish mysteries. You know what? You're going to get rejected because they don't publish mysteries. But if you send the book saying, well, this is so good, they're going to want to publish my mystery. And I'm like, no, they do not publish mysteries. See, they publish something else. They publish cocktail table books. You know, they publish they publish this, they don't publish what you're trying to sell them. So do your research, find out a book that you like, that's like the book that you've written and find out who published that. That's who you send it to, you know, find out the right publisher to send your work to. And when you find out the right publisher, you have a better chance of publishing. I'm not saying that you will get published, but I'm saying you have a, a better fighting chance to get published. So do your research, know what you're doing. Yeah, I'm always surprised by like how many writers will you know write not just one but multiple manuscripts and spend you know years on this and then not spend any time researching how that part of the process works. Yeah, that's you know you nailed it. I mean that's exactly right. You know they'll spend five years writing a book and they'll spend ten minutes deciding mm -hmm. who to send it to, and you go no, spend <laughs> months trying to decide who to send it to. And make a list, you know, make a list and, and you know, don't send it to the first publisher without having 10 more already researched so that when it comes back the first time, it goes out the second time, comes back the second time, goes out the third time so that there's, you can just send it back and forth. You know, I have to say, there are many things about the computer and the internet that drive me absolutely nuts. Um, and I've been writing a long time. Um, that I don't like about them. But I have to say, it's so wonderful to be able to submit via, you know, electronically versus having to, you know, mm -hmm. print out things and put them in a box and take them to the post office and, and send them that way and wonder, did the post deliver it? You know, what are we doing here? You know, what's going on? Um, so it's, it, it's nice. You know, there was, a, there was a time where, you know, you had to print a fresh manuscript every time you sent something out, mm -hmm. you know, so they didn't want a dog-eared manuscript. They wanted something fresh. So yep. anyway. Easier tell, me, tell me a little bit about your book. So you write mysteries. Yep. I write mysteries, um, both historical and modern. So lots of, lots of research there. Um, and what do you think about writing historical versus writing modern mysteries? Which one do you like the most and why? 
Hmm. It's really tough. Um, historical, I think, uh, is is fun to research, um, and it does eliminate some of the problems that technology throws into the modern mystery um because we don't have to go like okay now we have to lose the cell phone um now we have to do that like that has created so many new plot issues um but um it is it is heavy on the research so i can't write as many of them um it's fun to write uh but it also uh in terms of like um like social justice issues. It is a more depressing to write about the past, even when you are writing a very um, positive, upbeat <laughs> book. Um, so sometimes I just want to write something modern since modern has enough problems. Oh, modern has lots of problems. Yeah. So do you have one character who's always the um, mystery solver, whether um, uh, historical or modern do they travel in time or oh no no, no. totally no. separate this is not non-paranormal mysteries so yeah do you have a series i've often you know i i've had readers write me and say oh i want to i want another book about but i want them about this character and i, I never do that you know and i think maybe i should you know, so yours are all standalones. Mine are all standalone. Yeah, they really mm -hmm. are. There's no um, no recurring characters in them, and I think that that just has to do with how my brain works in terms of, you know, I, I may spend three or four years writing a book, and then when I'm done, it's like I've put you guys to bed. Okay, now onto the next, onto the next, and that may just be. Um, a byproduct of having written professionally for so long and needing to, you know, write something fresh each time from a magazine or a newspaper, you know, where you you can't, you're not developing a series, you know, you're you're telling a new story each time. And so that's just um, probably a byproduct of, of how I made a living for so long, you know. The fun thing is, is I, have had an opportunity to to write for all kinds of different publications and uh, all, you know, about all kinds of different things. You know, I haven't yet used all my motorcycle knowledge in my stories or my um, speedboat knowledge, but uh, I have spent many years writing about food for various publications, including Better Homes and Gardens and and different local magazines. And I was a restaurant reviewer and, and I wrote a lot about food and I wrote food issues and things. And so um, it's just fun for me occasionally to think, well, what does this guy eat for breakfast? You know, what would she cook? What would she cook for herself? And so a lot of my books just for fun will have characters who like to cook. And so you get to cook with them just because I know so much about that, you know, so. Yeah, so that's, a, that's an interesting aspect of character development that people can kind of look toward their own interests and see how that yeah. can intersect with their plots and their characters. Yeah, and everything you do, everything you learn how to do and everything you do just feeds your writing, makes it richer. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, we shouldn't ignore that, you know. Um, and it, it's more fun because you have some knowledge about it and you can you can use it. Uh -huh. 
Yeah. Well, it has been lovely having you on the show this afternoon, Carrie. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So where can folks find you and your books online? You can find me um, online. My website is cjanework.com. And um, all my books are listed there and you, you click on them. It connects you to um, various places to buy them. Um, my last five books have been published by Owl Canyon Press. I even have a, you know, a, a workbook, a writing workbook that was developed when I was the Piedmont Laureate. Um, a self-guided workbook and gentle tour on learning how to write stories from start to finish, uh, which grew out of my experience teaching for the, the uh, laureate program. And um, you can buy my books on Amazon. You can buy them from bookstores. You can buy them. Um, you know, if you go to my website, you can just click and buy them from a number of different places. You can, and you know, any author will tell you, you know, make me smile and ask your library to get my book, mm -hmm. you know, get my book on the library shelves. I would love that. You know, people think, oh, you know, if I, if I don't buy it, but I, you know, go to the library to get it. And I'm like, you know, people don't realize that you can call your library and say, I'm really interested in, in Carrie Knowles as a writer. And I'd like to read a couple of her books. And these are the titles I'm interested in. Can you get them? And most libraries, uh, regional libraries, have funds within them to do just that, to buy books that their readers want to read. So take advantage of that. You know, I would love to, for your local library to have my books on the shelf so somebody else can read them. So please do that. And please, if you like a book, write a review. It doesn't have to be a long review, write a review. Um, uh, what readers don't realize, people say, oh, you know, when's your next book coming out? And I say, well, help me get my next book out by the review on my last book. Because publishers look at reviews. Mm -hmm. They want to know, you yeah. know. And um, for those self-publisher publishing writers out there too, we know the power of reviews to sell the book and sell the pre-order on the next book. Um, because readers we'll see that how many people have reviewed is this being bought right exactly and it's so important it's really so important tell your friends if you write if you read a book you like tell your friends um and in this wonderful world of zoom um if you read one of my books and you thought oh my book club would love this book or you would like me to come and talk to your writing group you can you know how to get a hold of me through my website and we can zoom. I can zoom for you. Isn't that funny? It's what, you know, it's a weird world, isn't it? But it works. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much again for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me and good luck. Good luck with your work. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Authoring Onward. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Carrie about characters. I know I certainly did. Um, and I do love talking shop about character development, about the things that inspire us, which are all so different. Um, and I love what, what Carrie said in the interview about that writers have to be curious. Um, you have to ask those what if questions, be inspired by uh, 
the things around you. There are stories everywhere. You just have to look for them. And there are characters everywhere. You just kind of have to look for the bits and pieces that make them up. Whether it's, you know, someone on the street with an interesting hat or um, one striking example that I recall being inspired by was standing in a grocery store line behind a woman with just absolutely mud spattered riding boots and immaculate gloves at the same time. And I'm just thinking, what kind of person is just covered in mud except for her gloves? Um, which is, you know, so just looking for those interesting little details, you know, not lifting entire people from real life, but those interesting details can inspire so much. So that was it for this week. I will be back in your earbuds or um, speakers or wherever it is you are listening to this podcast next week with another episode. Um, if you are looking to get your book edited, I do have a few openings. Um, a little bit, I had some surprise openings here at the end of January, and I do have some availability in February as well. So go ahead and book those spots before somebody else does. Head on over to bookechoes.com slash services to learn more. Until next week, happy writing!